Well, good afternoon, everyone. One thing that we believe in here is that prayer is effective, that prayer works because of who we're praying to. And so uh, we have a group that prays at 3 p.m. before the gathering starts. We'd encourage anyone and everyone to, to come to that, have a time of intentional prayer, and then we take those requests and we put them on that group in the app. So if you have any questions about that, you can talk to me or you'd be better served to talk to our, our uh, administrator, Amanda, and she will help you uh, get plugged into that. We are going to be doing a gender identity cohort. Um, I still am not able to f figure out a better name for that. But um, if you're wondering, like, what the heck is that? What we've been wanting to do is it's hard during um, just, just our time within sermons. There are some passages that are going to have direct messages for what's going on in our culture. But oftentimes it's harder to go deeper into those relevant issues. And one of those is, as we see around in our culture right now, is the topic of gender. How that's influencing our schools. What that means in our community and what that looks like. We, the, the church has faced this ever since it began. There have been issues that have constantly come up that are affecting ge different generations. And what we need to do is be proactive in going to Scripture and asking the question, what does Jesus ha have to say about this? How do we engage on Jesus' terms and these things that are affecting our culture? What is the truth of Scripture, and how does that bring it up? And my hope from this is twofold. One is that anyone could come into this, be able to ask genuine questions, but that we come under the authority of God's word together. And then the second part of this is, that, is to teach. If you don't know how to, like, like, if big topics come up, and you're like, I don't even know where to begin or how to look at the Bible and what it says about this, we also want that to happen. So we're planning on that starting Friday, October 13th. The, the time and the date still has yet to be decided. Um, or sorry, not the date, but the time and the place that we're going to do that. So we're going to open that up on the church app. There's going to be a group on there. So the way of signing up is to request to join that group. And then we'll go from there. And depending on how many people we'll get, we'll determine whether we're going to host that like in a house or whether it's going to be like at the church or something like that. And if you have any questions about that, again, please come talk with me. Okay, that's enough for announcements. Would you join me in prayer before we dive into God's word? Father, God, I just ask that you would show up right now. Um... God, I just pray even during this time, it, there's so many things that can just get implanted in our heart. There's so many things that we gather during the week as we already prayed over, but um, God, I pray over it again. Those things can keep us from hearing your voice clearly. And what I ask, Jesus, is that we walk away with a clear understanding of who you are. That we would walk confidently from this place because of the promises you say that we have in you. Jesus, I pray that when we face attacks from the enemy this week, when we face our own brokenness in our flesh, Jesus, that Psalm 23 wouldn't just be this obscure psalm, but it would be something that would be just imprinted deep on our soul, that we would know we can go there, speak that scripture against the lies of the enemy, use it as encouragement, use it to help our brothers and sisters in Christ, that it is something that you have given to us to use. It's, it's not just words on a paper. It is your word, Jesus. So we ask that we, you would show up, and we believe that you are here, present with us as the good shepherd. 
So Jesus, open our hearts, clear our minds, help us to obey what you show us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we are going to be finishing up Psalm 23. We've spent the last couple of weeks there, and we really wanted to go to this psalm because Radiant Church has gone through a couple of, just a hard season. And it's easy when you're in those hard seasons, and Psalm 23 references this in verse 4, where we go through these dark valleys, or the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes we try to power through. Sometimes we try to ignore what's going on. Sometimes we try to figure out how to get around things. But what's beautiful about Psalm 23, and what we've done in the last couple of weeks, is learn how to walk through it. How to walk through it, and not only just understand a psalm for what it says, but to learn how to pray scripture. That's been one of the things, I've mentioned this every week, but one of the greatest growths in my own pursuit of Jesus has been learning how to pray scripture. Not just by like saying it verbatim, though sometimes you can do that. It's more about the heart of a passage of scripture and how we use those truths, we use that language and we let it inform what we're asking of God how we're praising him in prayer and all these things. And so we're going to just do a, a shorter than usual sermon is the intent. It's my honest intent. <laughs> and then we're going to walk through praying the last couple verses of Psalm 23. So in, if we broke up Psalm 23, you're going to see three environments along with three promises. So in verses 1 through 3, we looked at how the Lord is the one who provides abundantly through green pastures and still waters, providing restoration for our soul. And then in verse 4, we looked at how he is the protector, the warrior shepherd who carries the guiding staff for the sheep and also the punishing rod for evil so we don't have to live in fear. And now we find ourselves in the last environment with the last promise. He is our shepherd host who brings us to the table and is completely present with us through all of life. So let's first look at how the Lord is our shepherd host. Just turn with me to Psalm 23. We're just going to read verse 5 and 6. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When you go to prayer, I would encourage you spend a few moments, a few minutes, considering who Jesus is, even just telling him in prayer who he is. And I want to ask, have you ever thought of Jesus as your host? Is Jesus as your host? What would that look like? I mean, think about this with me for a minute. As a host, if you invite someone into your home, even, even in our culture that doesn't emphasize this as much, there's still these kind of expectations that naturally come. When you invite someone into your home, or maybe if you're younger, think about inviting someone into your room and what that means. 
Like, you want to put yourself in a place to show a person around. You want to be present with them. You don't invite someone into your house and say, hey, man, just show yourself around, open all the doors, just go around and, and, and make yourself at home. No, you, you usually walk them on a tour. You show them where the bathroom is. That's usually the first thing. You take them through the kitchen. You might show them the layout of your home. You're giving them a host. At the same time, while you are showing them where everything is and later on maybe serving them in different ways, asking if they want water, if they want food, it's still your home. You're, you're still the one who is in charge. You still have your house rules that, that you want people to follow at the same time. You see, if, if you've ever been to my house for the first time and my wife is hosting, what I love about her is like there's the first time policy where it's like, all right, if you're going to come for the first time, we got to get everything, you know, the counter's clear, make sure everything happens. And once we've uh, gotten someone in for the first time, and as, as a friend of ours has said, once they know where the silverware is, then we don't have to worry so much about, about them. They're family at that point. <laughs> but there's that first time. There's that feeling of like, no, we want to provide what's best. If you've ever been to a good restaurant, a really good restaurant, you have a host. And that person, like their job is to make sure that there's a constant presence around you using the waiters, using the, the busboys, using all the other staff that are there. They are, if, if, if it's a good restaurant, we don't have many of these, um, at least service-wise in Alaska, but they make sure you're taken care of and that there's not like this long gap where you're wondering like, hey, where's my waiter or what's going on? They make sure that they're constantly present. Now, that's just us in the United States. If you go to the Eastern culture in which this psalm was written, they, there's a, an even more emphasis on the value of inviting a guest, especially back in these more ancient times. When a guest is welcome, it's not that they're just well provided for, you're protecting them as well. And you make sure, you make sure that nothing threatens them. Like even if an enemy of theirs, who may be a friend of yours, came to the door and said, hey, I need to take this guy out, you would put yourself in between in between and say, no, they're my guests. I'm going to protect them. So the table then, when we think about that, is the center of all this. When you invite someone into your house, the table is central. And actually, if, if that's one of the reasons I think that our culture in America is lacking in many ways is because the table is no longer central to the home. It's almost like family dinner is optional when it needs to be the essence of the house because where's the presence felt most? It's when the family gathers around the table together. You can ask about how is your day? What's going on? And when you sit down with someone and you've invited them into your home, you're going to put a spread out for them. You're going to put out silverware. You're going to make it something where they can be present. And that's why it's also a place of remembrance as well. I mean, the, if you've ever remembered the family table and remembered what mom's cooked up, there, there can be the sensory, the, the everything that comes into place where you're like, yeah, I remember that. For me, it was on Sundays when my mom would make roast and put it in the oven, and we'd return home, and you'd feel that. There's a, a memory associated with the table. So for, for Israel, they had a meal that was central. It was Passover. 
Passover was the central place of the Jewish community. So they had all specific meals, celebrations where they would remember. It was a place of remembrance. And so they remembered when they were provided for, when, when God rescued them out of Egypt and took them out of the place of their enemies. And, and they would remember the last great plague that God used and how that was death. And in the meal, they would remember how the Lord was present with them because of the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass over them. They were, they were protected, and the Lord provided abundantly for them. So giving all that context, David takes us to this place in this psalm where we remember that we have the Lord as a shepherd host. He's been leading us, even through the valley of the shadow of death. But he's also prepared a table for us. And he describes the essence of what that prepared table looks like that the Lord has prepared for us. If you go down further in verse 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So first of all, we have anointing oil. Now, oil signifies many things. Oil can signify royalty, like when David was anointed to be king and Samuel poured the oil over his head. It can also be a lot more practical. It can represent healing. And as I was reading in one commentary, oil has been and is even still used to protect the sheep. Like they would actually put oil within the, the, the nose of sheep because flies can get in there. They can carry disease. And I won't go into detail about that because it's just disgusting. But the oil was used as a way to protect the sheep. There's even in some cultures where you basically have like an oil bath that you dunk the sheep into. And you do that on a semi-regular basis. If you go to James 5, there's a description of the church elders anointing people with oil for the purposes of healing. So how do we see this? Is it honor? Is it healing? Is it protection? I think we see all of this. Like, I think when David's putting this down, when he's praying this, I think he's considering all of this in light of who God is and what he does. Even with David, like, being anointed as king, like, it, his heart comes out of this. It's not like he's, like, using this as a way to say, like, hey, I'm, I'm king and you better listen up. Rather, it's in this very humbling way that the Lord is the one who's providing this for him. So that anointing and even how God was going to use them as king, it was only going to be effective as if, if the Lord was present in his rule. Only if the Lord was protecting him. Only if the Lord was providing Because David, he's, he's not just a king. He's a father. He's, he was a shepherd. He, he, he's a man. He was human. And with the Lord overshadowing his rule in what God led him to be, which was king, the enemy couldn't touch David. The enemy couldn't destroy what was most important, which was his relationship with God, the shepherd of his soul. And so, what about us? What about us? We also have that promise for us as well. We also have that promise of anointing. We also have the promise of the cup overflowing. And this is what's beautiful about the cup overflowing in verse 5 is it takes us right back to verse 
too. At the Lord's table, we don't have to want. At the Lord's table, there is abundance of true nourishment. He welcomes you into his presence, into his home, and then spread on his table isn't the bare minimum. It's not bread and water at the Lord's table. It is a lavish feast that he's prepared for us. I would encourage you, if you want some time devotionally, go to Ephesians 1. Read through that slowly, verse by verse, and see all the ways that even look for the word lavish used within that and see what God has provided for us. So for us, as followers of Jesus today, our ultimate promise of a cup overflowing of abundant provision, of protective oil, of anointing oil, is found at the cross. What, what is represented for us in a prepared table and the sustaining presence of God as our shepherd host is the communion table. That's the table. This table that we have up here, this is one of the reasons we take communion every week is because we believe that this, this is what it represents. The presence of God as our shepherd host who walks with us. And so, what is communion? What does that represent? When we take of the elements, the elements are the, the crackers or the bread that we use. It's the juice that is used. They represent specific ways that God has ultimately provided us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The bread representing that his body was broken for us. The juice representing his blood that was shed for us. As we take communion, we remember that Jesus is the ultimate host, that he gave up his life for us. Remember that description of the host in an Eastern civilization who's willing to protect their guests at all costs. Well, Jesus did that for us at the cross. He went to the cross for us. And so we take the communion as a church to remember that he is also present with us. His protection and provision for eternal life with him are completely guaranteed by faith in what he accomplished. So when we come to the table... When we come to the communion table, we come out of praise. Sometimes we come in repentance of sin, sometimes out of sorrow, out of joy, out of whatever space we're in. But we come and we claim the victory in Christ that is represented at the table. So in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, as they're eating a Passover meal together, Jesus says this. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it all, drink of it, all of you, for this is, my, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And, and what is the result of what communion represents? What is the result of what Jesus did for us on our behalf? We find this in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, where it says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 
through the cross we are abundantly provided for. We are anointed because of what Jesus did by the Holy Spirit who is put within us. All that, all that about Jesus being our host sets up for the rest of the verse. Because the shepherd host is not bothered by enemies. What I love about this is it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Like, when you set up a meal, like, that takes time, that takes effort, it, and if you got enemies around you, you might think, man, I got to stop what I'm doing, and I got to deal with the enemies, but God dealt with the enemy. He dealt with the enemy at the cross. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. They're off to the side. They, they are nothing compared to the power and the promises that Jesus offers. Now, David understood enemies. He was chased down by his father-in-law, Saul, who sought to kill him and keep him from becoming king. He had nations that were his enemies. He had his own son as his enemy. He even had to fight against himself as an enemy. And yet he knew there was a bigger picture. There was a greater battle. And no matter how many enemies he had, if he was in the presence of the Lord... They were just spectators. They were just spectators. They were just to the side. And so it is with us. We walk in victory because of the cross. We don't walk in defeat. We walk in confidence because of all that Jesus accomplished for us. Whatever trials we face, whatever lies the devil throws at us, he can stand to the side. And I don't know if you're like me, but I've walked through a season of discouragement. And it is so easy to let the lies of Satan beat you down to the point where even though you might know it in your head that Jesus is the victor, you're living as if he was the one who was defeated and not Satan at the cross. And that's exactly what the enemy will do. So what lies do you need to call out today? What sins do you need to repent of that are keeping you from running to the table? Because the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from the presence of the shepherd host. Because he knows there, he can't touch us. He knows that there, we are going to find the provision that we need. He knows there that we can walk victoriously through this life. And so the shepherd host is not bothered by enemies. And neither do we in his presence. The shepherd host thing also gives us promises powerful promises. He gives us a promise regarding goodness and mercy. In verse 6 it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy. Mercy can also be uh, defined as steadfast love. You might have a little note in your Bible, at least if you're reading from the ESV by mercy, and the, the other way can be translated as steadfast love. His love is shown to us, even in the presence of the enemy's camp, even there, even in the dark valleys, even in the green pastures and still waters. His presence, his steadfast love is there. I mean, consider it. If you look at Romans 5, and I'll apologize to the slide team because I didn't include this one, but Romans 5. 
Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is his steadfast love for us. You see, the, the world, the world says it can offer you goodness and love. It will promise those things, but it's only temporary. You will find good people in this world who don't believe in Jesus, who can show goodness, who can even show mercy, but it's only temporary. Our, and, and the reason for that is because we're temporary. I mean, even think about watching the leaders of this rule. A good man will die and have done great things, and then evil men will replace them and wipe out all the good that they've done. It's only temporary, and, and, and if, if you see that and you don't have hope beyond the temporary aspect of this world, it can feel hopeless because we're powerless to make eternal, lasting change on our own. But the shepherd hosts. He gives us a cup that's overflowing. He will provide mercy. He will provide that steadfast love. And those promises will follow us all the days of our life. That is a deep and powerful promise. Charles Spurgeon, a pastor back in the 1800s, says this, goodness and mercy follow him always, all the days of his life. Speaking of David. The black days as well as the bright days. The days of fasting as well as the days of feasting. The dreary days of winter as well as the bright days of summer. Goodness supplies our needs and mercy blots out our sins. And so those promises are following us. And then we've given the ultimate promise of his presence, his eternal lasting presence, the house of the Lord. The idea here is that all that we actually need in this life, all of the provisions we seek for, all the protection we need is ultimately found in the presence of the Lord. When, when David's describing the house of the Lord, he's describing the presence of the Lord. He's thinking of the temple or he's thinking of the tabernacle where the, the Ark of the Covenant is, where the promise of his presence there. And there's this longing, there's this desire of being in the presence of the Lord beyond just a couple of days or a few months or a few years. There is a longing for the eternal presence of God. But we also have that promise. And as we read earlier, it's found perfectly in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So as we, as we leave this place this afternoon, we need to remind ourselves of the truths and the promises in this passage. We need to confess that Jesus has goodness and mercy for us. We need to claim the assurance that this goodness and mercy or steadfast love will follow us throughout our time in this life, pursuing us through all the environments that we face. And our end is assured. We will dwell in his presence for eternity. That hope is our guiding point for our life. And when we have that hope, 
when we have those promises, when we know that the shepherd warrior is with us, when we know that the shepherd host is the one providing a, a constant presence for us, when we know that the shepherd is the ultimate provider, we don't have to fear evil. And we can walk confidently into the next day, no matter what comes at us. And we can push aside the lies of the enemy with the promises that are in this scripture. So practically, I encourage you, keep this psalm handy. Whether, whether it's just having one of those like pocket Bibles or whether you have to carry your regular Bible with you or use the Bible that's on your phone, whatever it takes to have those words present with you. Have those words present with you because we know that this psalm points to our Savior. In John 10, 14 through 15, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep.